Hello, dear listeners and dear YouTube viewers. Hi for all people that are learning more information about data and that are passionate to learn. Hope everything is fantastic. And let's start our podcast that is called Coding Invaders Podcast, in which we share with you beautiful stories of successful people who have decided to connect their life with the data. So this podcast is perfect for people who would like to enter the data analytics or data science world and are afraid of making a first step or are just thinking about how to jumpstart their career in the IT field. We invite various bright minds that made a tremendous career in data science from India and ask them questions about their work, life, and attitude. My name is Raman Kumar Vyas. I'm the Chief Marketing Officer of Coding Invaders, an online educational platform that teaches people data analysis and data science from scratch. So if you're looking for career change and want to get a profession in data analytics, we will be glad to announce the launch of data analytics specialization. Within six months, you will learn all the skills and tools required to enter the data analytics field. Podcast listeners and our YouTube viewers also can get extra 10% discount with the code word coding podcast. Please leave your reviews on the platforms where you are listening to our podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. This will help us to get higher ranking and more people will be able to listen to our interviews. We do this for you and we want to bring you like maximum benefit. So if you have a question about data, IT career to our guests, please send us your question in audio format and we will ask the most interesting of them on our podcast. So send your questions to info at the rate of codinginvaders.com. Thank you very much, guys. And let me introduce to you Mr. Satnam Singh, who is a very experienced person in the data science field. And moreover, here is a marathon runner and rock climber. And that's amazing. Satnam, thank you very much for being here. It's a big honor for us to have you here and to speak with you. Thank you for your invitation. And it's my pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward for this wonderful engagement and conversation with you guys and with your audience. Thank you very much, Satnam. Would you be so kind to introduce yourself to our audience? Yes, it's a very interesting journey in machine learning and AI. My career in ML was born when the word itself was not born. The word <laughs> ML was not new, it was not so fancy, and I was more fascinated about stats and machine learning, so I picked up, and that was like way back in 2003 and 2004 when I started doing my PhD, and my PhD was in factorial hidden Markov models, and I built the models, I built algorithms for uh, DARPA and also for Toyota. And that's when I realized that my passion is to build algorithms uh, to solve the real world problems. And I had uh, various uh, career journeys and career paths. I thought, okay, should I go an academics route or should I you know, be in the industry? I chose the later because I wanted to be close to the data and the data is more with the industry. In order to get the data in academia, it's very hard. So I chose to be in industry. And after finishing my PhD from University of Connecticut at UConn in US, I came back to India. And then I worked for General Motors, Samsung, CA Technologies. And now I am with Acalvio from last five years. 
So it has been a very exciting journey in this uh, journey of applying data science, machine learning, AI into real life. And I've been lucky to have a privilege uh, of working at so many different companies and so many different domains, right from automobile to IT infrastructure and now IT security at Acalview and also at some point work on smartphones as well. So it's been a very exciting journey. And now we are doing a very fantastic cutting edge work at Acalvio where we are applying a combination of deception and uh, AI to move the needle and to solve more of like the information security problem, which is a very big one, but at least this new concept which we are bringing together, it is making some impact in the life. Do you remember the time and the place when you started thinking that, yes, I would like to connect my life with the data? What was your trigger? Yeah, so my trigger was uh, I was doing my PhD and that time I was more fascinated with data and stats and with algorithms. And I got an opportunity where I could actually pursue that path. So it was actually in the real world. There was actually that time 9-11 happened. And there were lots of projects that were given by DARPA to various universities. And so one such project, uh, we got it uh, at UConn. There, the requirement was to build these stochastic models that can predict a terrorist act or activity. So it was a problem where I had to infer the signal out of lots of noise. So that intriguing problem, which is so complex, It actually caught my eye and then my professors were so supportive and nice that all the PI conferences, the the principal investigators, where typically professors go, they used to send me and my friend, my colleague. We used to get uh, an opportunity to go and meet with analysts, counter-terrorism analysts, interview them, take that feedback and then sort of like codify it into the stochastic models. So that connecting with a real-world problem is the one which made me excited to stick to the data. I didn't thought of what the career path would be or what will be the scenario after a decade or so. Those kind of questions didn't come to me because I realized that this is a problem which is very exciting and which needs to be solved. And we jumped into the problem and then it was just like, now looking back into those 10-15 years of my journey, it's more about, yes problem by problem, problem by problem. And I've been lucky to have those interesting problems to work at. Okay. So you talk so much about uh, real life problems and real life projects. Would you be so kind to uh, tell us about the projects you are most proud of? Yeah. So there have been multiple projects. Uh, I think in almost like at every enterprise, I've been proud of uh, contributing there. So there are two things. First of all, in data science, Data scientists alone is not really who plays a big role. It's a multiple team, just like in any other project, it's a team effort. Mm -hmm. So because as a data scientist, okay, yes, you will be designing the algorithm and so forth, or you will be massaging the data and doing the entire machine learning pipeline. But then the domain knowledge, you don't have that domain knowledge. So you have to collaborate with the domain expert, depending on where you work with. So in the case of when I was at uh, UConn, that was like the very first part, I actually talked to the various uh, counterterrorism experts. That's where my domain knowledge came. When I worked at General Motors, I worked at various, uh, I collaborated with multiple stakeholders at General Motors 
in the engine department, those who were engine designers. These are the folks who know the inside out of any General Motors engine. It's like an honor of talking to somebody who is an in-depth, who has spent 25 years just knowing about the engines, right? And when we go there and we go and talk to them, I was like a fairly young at that time. I'm just talking like (laughs) uh, 13 years ago. And so there we got to understand the diagnostic trouble codes, DTCs, and the engine control parameters. How do they affect those DTCs? How do they affect the engine performance? How do we uh, find the clusters which can point out to those anomalies or the faults into the automobile? And then, just like I said, you need to talk to the domain experts. So we talk to the quality experts and the quality engineers because the, one of the solution was in quality engine to improve the quality of General Motors vehicles. Multiple such projects at General Motors where I interacted with the domain experts. And that journey moved on at CA Technologies. I worked on the IT infrastructure side. At Samsung, I worked more on thinking about the algorithms in the smartphone. Every point, actually, we were ahead of the innovation curve and we were ahead of our peers or competition because, see, the journey of AI is like, okay, yes, you have to think ahead and then partner with the domain expert and then apply those AI algorithms and then make a solution to the problem. So speed to the market also matters a lot. And so I would say that most proud of is the last five years at Acalvio, which we have, along with our founders here, one of the first few hires at Acalvio. And we have built product from scratch. Whiteboard, there is nothing. And then we have built a one platform, which provides a combination of deception and AI to protect endpoints, to protect enterprises, their network from ransomware and from crypto miners and so forth. Is it true that right now, in terms of automotive industry, it's like a common sense or is it really true that 20 years ago, the cars were really better, so you didn't need to spend much time on repairment. And right now, cars are projected so they can be broken in a year, so you can buy another spare parts for it and to spend much money on repairment. Is it really so? Or maybe the reason in some other field? So I think uh, in a nutshell, what you're trying to ask is, what are the different use cases that exist in the case of automobile, AI, or sort of data science? Is that what you're leading to? Uh, oh, actually not, but uh, this will be also interesting for our audience. Yes, how data science is used in the automotive industry. You told us already that there are some parameters that you analyze in terms of engine and what else? So automobile, first of all, there are different phases where the data is collected. So the one is when you're designing the data, when you're designing a vehicle. At that time, the data you collect from the test fleet. So that test fleet data is collected at the real time. And so you collect lots of engine parameters and there you want to identify faults. They are occurring in the very early phases when you have not rolled out any production vehicles. So the more faults you can actually anticipate in the early phase, during the design phase itself, mm-hmm. uh, wow. then you can actually save the warranty cost and you can save lots of recall cost of the vehicle. Because if there are problems happen, like recently I was reading that 
there were issues in uh, some particular manufacturers batteries mm-hmm. so and then they had to recall the whole fleet for that model year so now imagine like the millions of dollars of cost if that can be avoided if you can catch the fault earlier mm-hmm. and you can simulate or you can anticipate those changes earlier and as much as you can detect them early so that's the one part of it and then that's like how do you catch it early on and that's where the algorithms can be used and then there are phases like okay yes now you have rolled out a vehicle so now it is there in the field so there are lots of quality issues are coming so can you detect the emerging issues emerging problems and let's say you have rolled out only 20000 vehicles and you can see some problem is emerging so you can actually make a solution to that right away and instead of waiting for 150000 vehicles to be in the field and then you are rolling down the solution so that's another class of problems in class of algorithms you apply in that space and then you have the problem where let's say your vehicles are there in the field which have been 4 years 5 years or 10 years out of warranty as well now you have a data coming from that as well so how do you reduce your warranty costs how do you improve your customer satisfaction how do you increase the root cause analysis how do you reduce repeat visits of the customer all these are different problem definitions that has to be addressed by the data the tesla for example they have the software installed in their vehicles so they can share the data about the condition of the car in real time and process it does it really help to get more quicker more fast improvements oh yes when you collect the real time data that real time this is actually in the automobile area this is called onboard diagnostics mm-hmm. so you are collecting the data in the real time so that definitely helps you because you know what were the conditions at that time and you can have the multiple algorithms you can look at more of a signature based where you can define what's the pattern of those uh, parameters and then you can define the correlation with the fault or you can have an algorithm based or machine learning based approach where you know what were the parameters for over a time and you actually train a particular classifier and that classifier is actually representing a class of specific faults so this problem is vast and i would say that it's very sophisticated problems and very deep where you have a whole bunch of 15 20 engineers or combination of a team of engineers looking at these issues and collecting the data making machine learning models deploying it real time updating those models and so forth you worked at samsung electronics how is data science used in this field and for what what is mobile data analytics and mobile data mining would you be so kind to explain us more about that Yeah so when you think about smartphone all the data is being collected by smartphone and everything there is sort of like that you yourself don't know about you but yeah, your phone yes. knows more about you or google knows more about you that exactly. part is true so the same thing here when i worked it we actually we were sort of a frontier in samsung in making a new hypothesis that why we need to send your own data to the cloud and share with others because the privacy was a concern so now there are new concepts which are coming up of privacy aware ai or privacy aware machine learning 
So we worked a few aspects of that. We said, okay, let the data remain in the devices and then can we make the customer experience or user's experience much more enriching? For example, let's say contacts. You have multiple contacts. You sync up from Google. You sync up from your WhatsApp or you sync up from three more apps or four more apps. So you may have some duplicate contacts. So you may name somebody else, you know, something with, uh, let's say, Satnam, and then you may have, you know, Satnam Rock Climber, Satnam Running. So just somebody who is saving my name in their phone, depending on the context, they may actually save accordingly. So if somebody who is a friend of mine who is more of a cyclist, he mm-hmm. may save my name as Satnam BWCC, which is the cycling club name. We have mm-hmm. a White Wheel Cycling Club. And then we have Bang- Satnam BCI, Bangalore Climbing Initiative. Some or the Satnam Climbing Instructor. It's the one Satnam only, but he has, let's say, you know, three, four other ways he has saved the same name. So we came up with a sort of like a smart contacts, which will collect a lot more other data from the user's phone. And since it's the same person, it has some more other contacts that the same location and all that, then it used to suggest that, oh, yes, it is the same person. Do you want to merge it? Mm-hmm. And so it will reduce the clutter. So one particular use case where we used to merge the different pictures from, say, Satnam's uh, Facebook, Instagram, and then pick those images and then suggest that as a profile pic in the photo because many times you have some 95% of your contacts in the phone until unless yourself assign an image to them they don't have images so with your permission it will actually bring those images assign them and you can approve them so now you have a photo and the name together and then also reduce the clutter so that's one example Mm-hmm. We had lots mm-hmm. of other such examples where smart gallery, we made galleries with a more context that, okay, when was the last trip happened, then combined that trip with the previous rock climbing trip, and then the three, four rock climbing trips, all those photos together, and then made a rock climbing album. So mm-hmm. all these were like AI use cases. And most of these we worked on quite long time back, but now you see them in various apps, you see them in Google Photos also. So these things may not surprise you now because you have seen those use mm-hmm. cases, but I'm pretty sure that there are lots of interesting use cases you can see today as well. I saw somewhere like you can take a photo and then you can make a video on that and so it will make you very interesting. So there are lots of interesting use cases are there. So the one I worked on were smartphone, smart contacts, smart gallery. There were a few more, but these were the ones which actually came into the production. It's great when you can see the results of your work and the product and feature that is based on your work. That's great. Okay, thank you very much. But could you please tell us more about how data science and artificial intelligence are used to defend against cyber attacks? Because as we know, you work in Akalavio and build a data science and deception product to defend against cyber attacks. Could you please specify how can data analytics and data science be used to defend against cyber attacks? I think it's a very interesting field for our listeners. What is cyber attack? Is it really true that there are more than 10 cyber attacks in a second in the world? How does it look like? So let's start from the last sentence you Uh left. Yeah, the cyber attacks are increasing day by day. And if you have heard of a solar winds attack, which recently happened in U.S. enterprises and U.S. federal government agencies, 
that was sort of like an equivalent of a 9-11 in cybersecurity. So attackers somehow took over the GitHub repository in one of the product in SolarWinds, and they put a malicious uh, bits over there. They put a malware there. And then along with the product update bits, that malware also went through. And mm-hmm. since that entire product code itself was hacked, so nobody can question that. It's just like Microsoft Update. So when you mm-hmm, do a Microsoft mm-hmm. Update, you're not going to be questioning that, oh, it is somebody may have hacked and you know, should we no, update course. or not. Right? Yeah. So you basically say that, okay, Microsoft has released an update and I should upgrade it so that because it will protect my computer against the different vulnerabilities which were exposed by the Microsoft team or by bad teamers or by all the defenders. Exactly. So you basically upgrade your computer. Mm-hmm. So in this case, also SolarWinds attack, uh, the same thing happened and enterprises actually upgraded their computers, which were one of the enterprise products, which is by SolarWinds. So through that, malware came in and then the estimate is it, the hack actually happened sometime way back some nine to 10 months back. And so the attackers were there in the enterprises from nine to 10 months and nobody knew it. So they were actually listening to various conversations. And so they upgraded and they they went into the different higher privileged computers and they did a privilege escalation and did a persistence into the various key computers. So they took over some of the high privileged domains and they were after, it was done by one of the nationwide attacker. So they were after the information. Based on that information, they wanted to do mm-hmm. something. So since they were attacking the federal government. And if you before that, if you have heard of WannaCry, the WannaCry actually, their the attention of attackers were to get the ransom, to make money. So cyber attacks are increasing day by day. It's getting very common. In fact, the WannaCry attacks were very prominent in small businesses in Bangalore, in India itself. So I know a couple of SMBs, small and medium businesses, and I had conversations with them about WannaCry. This is a time when we have to be along with our cybersecurity and with our cyber presence. We need to take cybersecurity as more seriously and also enterprises are definitely working towards that and making sure that they have the proper practices and they have also the right tools to do the monitoring and protection. So the way AI can help is AI can actually monitor the various uh, data sources and the nativity of that. I can give one example that when you look at the networks, So there are different network packets and you can look at the network, how many bytes in, bytes out. You may sort of like make a ratio of that and then see, is there any exploitation attempt going on? Or you look at a URL and is that URL is making a call to uh, some domain which is random or it is some malicious domain. Mm -hmm. So each of these problems are sort of like a class of organizations itself or vendors itself, they provide the tool. Now, what we thought of at Calvio when we started at five years ago, that we don't want to be having giving a passive security where you actually keep on watching somebody that, okay, yes, you come from here, so I'm going to protect this gate, I'm going to stop this gate. Mm-hmm. So just like, so for example, let's say WannaCry claim, so you upgrade your antivirus and you look for that signature on the file name. 
and it's more of a rule based approach or let's say you update your classifier engine and then you detect the WannaCry presence. What we are saying is we want to make more of an active security where we can actually put some kind of a deceptions and then it's like a motion sensor at home. Somebody, a thief comes in, the motion sensor will detect. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. or think of you have a jewelry at home. So you that jewelry, you can also keep some fake jewelry also, some two, three copies of that. The real uh-huh. one and the fake. And the uh-huh. fake one and the real one, all of them have a sensors attached to it. Now, if the thief comes in and he steals all of it, obviously that sensor will give you alarm. The fake one, if he is able to get only the fake one, then that will also give you an alarm. So all such things, we learn this from nature and also from deception concept. It has been there from ages. We borrowed these concepts and we made that into the enterprise product, those learnings. And that's where the combination of AI and the deception making a big impact. And it is actually catching some of the things which other like a zero day attacks or zero day malware, even the AI alone or say signature based algorithms, they cannot detect them. So the point I'm trying to say is if you are an AI guy or you are somebody's been getting into the machine learning and AI, I would say that information security is something which you should jump in and it is a career for next two decades, next five decades uh, for lifelong. Because computers are going to be there. Everybody is right now working from home. During this pandemic has actually caused a lot, lot more. It has caused our lives to be more digital now. So the world is going to be more and more digital. Once you have a work for the whole life, then you know, the information security also be there because attackers will be there. They have an advantage. They can choose and come. So as a defender, we need more defenders. So the message is pick up an AI and a security combination and learn the domain. And with the domain, apply some more concepts and then solve the problems one at a time. Yeah, that's real true. We are like 80% of uh, digital, especially during the pandemic. And more new social networks, email systems you enter, even as a physical guy, the more dangerous it can be for you. Do you hire hackers in your team to attack your systems and to uh, find some uh, weak points into it, just like very big companies do? Yes, we do. At some point, we used to have a chief security architect or chief hacker, you can say, uh, Chris Roberts. Mm -hmm. He was a part of uh, Calview. And we also had uh, various other hackers under with him. And then also we hire time-to-time engagement we do with the hackers. Because this is very important that whatever we have built, if they can attack us and they can tell us that they are able to find these so-called deceptions. Let me give you sort of an example of a deception is we can have uh, some network hosts, which may, if you do an NMAP, then it may actually give you a response and it will tell you these are the ports which are open. Now, as an attacker, you may want to do a much more engagement. And if you have a, some credential, you may want to use that credential against that. Or let's say you look for Active Directory Recon. You do an Active Directory Recon. And then you see a Kerberos service account. And you want to actually, as an attacker or as a red teamer, you want to take over mm-hmm. that. Many of these entities, we can actually have decoys. We can have deceptions. And these deceptions may give an alert whenever the attacker uses them or mm-hmm. whenever attacker interacts with them. 
we do engagements with red teamers so that they can tell us the efficacy of our deceptions. Wow, really amazing. So yes, because mm-hmm. see, in order to defend somebody, you need to have somebody who can attack us and then who can tell us that, oh, are you strong or not? You know, uh, Nassim Taleb in his last book, Anti-Fragile, he has written that if you would like to build a strong system, then you need to put it into a fight decoration. You need somebody to attack you on a daily basis so you can improve on a daily basis based on this attack. So it's what you are talking about, about that you provide a company with a active security. That's cool. Let's switch to the final part of our conversation. What experts and trends in the data world do you follow and why? What are your main sources of information? How you help yourself to stay on the edge? So see, there is the world is changing very fast. And especially the world of AI is also changing very fast. If you think of the kind of resources which all these big companies, biggies like Amazon, Google, Microsoft, OpenAI, They have hundreds of engineers, hundreds of data scientists, PhDs working on these models. And again, another thousands of new guys also coming in and joining, which is very exciting for AI. Personally, I am more passionate about information security and AI together. Instead of looking what is doing somebody, what this guy is doing, that guy is doing, I do it other way around. I say, oh, this is a problem I have. Uh, How do I solve it? Or what can I do to solve these kind of problems, which are six months down the line, which are one year down the line, or which are two years down the line in my space? And what kind of algorithms I need to use that? So for example, like in the case of information security, I have a strong hunch that combination of a game theory and a combination of domain-based rules and reinforcement learning and combining with attack models mm-hmm. can make a big impact. We don't have that kind of data yet. We don't have that much of visibility onto the attacker yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how do we bring that visibility? So I need to solve the visibility problem first. I need to figure out, okay, what is an attack surface? What all things attacker can attack? So how do I use AI to figure out what is an attack surface for the enterprise, not just the attack surfaces which are given by other tools, but Mm -hmm. how I can leverage the deception and AI combination to show that attack surface. So let's say you have a cybersecurity insurance coming up and how can cybersecurity insurance companies can use our combination of uh, such things, you know, active security, which can tell you, okay, yes, this enterprise is a lot more prone for attacks. And so insurance should be higher. Our insurance should be lower, right? Mm-hmm. Vice versa. So these are the various set of examples I just alluded. So in general, yes, I do follow fast AI blogs. I like the fast AI blog. I like open AI blog. I like uh, Andrew NG, the batch, their email, uh, because they keep on talking about the various advancements in AI about the fair machine learning uh-huh. so called. How do you remove the bias from machine learning models? Or how do you make privacy-aware machine learning models? All these are different new fields. But the question is that, should I get into them? Not really, right? Because that doesn't solve my problem. My problem is different. So my message is, I'm aware of various fields, but uh, I work on the things which solves my particular problem. And I get motivation from those and Uh from them 
But then as a scientist, you have to come up with your own algorithm. You have to come up with your own combination or a secret sauce. And that's why they will make you as an expert and they will come to you. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you can just <laughs> pick up anything commercial or you can pick up any off-the-shelf thing. Sure. And you told me a very good idea about the cybersecurity insurance. I think it can be also applied to a person world. I mean, I can pay three or five dollars per month to be sure that if somebody stole my Instagram account or Facebook account, then I can get a compensation. I think it can be a great product as well. I'm pretty sure such uh, products and such companies, they will be definitely rolling out. So mm-hmm. far, our focus is more on enterprises. What is your biggest dream in terms of data? I mean, if you will have all money you need and the team of great guys, what will you realize in terms of data? As I said, I'm more passionate about information security right Mm -hmm. now. So if you look at the information security problem and it starts very simple, just like what you said about uh, your Instagram account, protecting that. Mm -hmm. So let's start with a very simple for uh, just person like you and me. Mm-hmm. who is using five, six different uh, social media accounts and using maybe two, three bank accounts and then using a bunch of other email accounts and also the workplace. So how do you use this so-called combination of things? I mean, not just AI alone, something more along with the domain knowledge as well. So I would like to actually bring those set of tools and techniques together where this data can speak to me just like you and I are speaking. And it can actually give me a satisfaction and can tell me that, Satnam, you have 100 things. And out of these 100 things, I'll give you a score of security to mm-hmm. you today. Uh, that security score is right now, today is 7.5. And maybe, you know, tomorrow it may be changing to 8.5. If I do some action, you know, it gives me some suggestions that, Satnam, mm-hmm. please do this, do this, do that. And I do that, and my security score improves to you know nine point eight, mm-hmm. and I'm all happy. And not just me for my family. So I'm just giving an example from more from an endpoint. Now the same thing you have to envisage for a big enterprise where companies like Infosys, TCS, which have hundreds of thousands of employees and distributed mm-hmm. all over the world, and or many other companies, all these in big MNCs. Now everybody working from home. So how do you give that peace of mind to the enterprises that, okay, yes, your key jewels, your crown jewels are all secured. And you do see an attack surface, but in order for somebody to come to that uh, crown jewel, they have to cross seven mountains. And you have three, four different layers before even they cross seven mountains. That's where we can actually take this combination of the domain plus Mm -hmm. the AI together to make much more peaceful. And so machine AI algorithms and models should be guarding for us when we are sleeping. That is the point. Okay, I got it. And the idea about security score is also brilliant. Thank you very much. The last but not least question is, could you please tell some advice for those who want to develop in data science or becoming a data analyst for our student? Any type of advice? Yeah, so my advice is just a very one very specific advice. There are lots of things to learn, but my suggestion is pick up a problem which you are excited about, which you are passionate about. Maybe you are working somewhere right now and you just want to transition to AI or ML or you are a fresher and you're excited about something like a stock market. 
I don't know what are your interests are. Whatever is your interest, pick up a problem, collect the data. How do you collect the data? That also you do it through the data pipeline. You learn the, the data collection part of it. Start from there. Okay, then you build the algorithms. And then you also learn the ML as well. So my suggestion is, obviously, you need to know the nuts and bolts. You need to know what are the big data infrastructure, how do you use them, the different set of algorithms, set of classifiers, regression, or say feature selection algorithms, the various jargons and the nuts and bolts. That part is fine. But then pick up a problem and do be more hands-on and then just get into it. Satam, thank you very much for your vision. Really very useful advice. Guys, if you are interested in cricket, if you are interested in watching Netflix, any type of industries right now required lots of data analysts and at least one data scientist. So thank you very much, Satnam, for being here with us and sharing your vision and inspiring our students and our podcast listeners. For you guys, please leave your reviews on the platform where you are listening to our podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. This will help us to get higher ranking. And we do this for you and want to bring you maximum benefit. And if you have questions about data, if you have questions to our future speakers about IT career, please send us your questions in audio format so we will ask the most interesting of them on our podcast. Send your questions to info at the rate of codinginvaders.com. And Satnam, thank you very, very much for being here today with us. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.